Welcome to the Lewis Jonker Podcast. Lewis is a speaker, storyteller, preacher and poet. Hope you get something out of this talk. I am hungry, insatiable and often discontent. Um, my message tonight is called Sour Soup. Uh, my favourite passages to preach from are anything to do with Elisha or Elijah, um, Kings, they're my favourite passages because I, I find them really quite fun to preach from because they're, they're these like two characters that do these miracles, almost very similar to the miracles that Jesus ended up doing. And they're often very short stories and often they make absolutely no sense. And we get to read them in the context of knowing Christ as our Messiah, but I wonder what the, the Jewish rabbis thought of these stories and the, the, the deep well of wisdom that comes from them. And so I love preaching these stories because I just learn so much, even if a story is only four verses. And uh, this is one of my favourite stories uh, about Elisha. And I want to I read it tonight and I want to go through it. And I am I'm, I'm pretty excited. I, I, I really like these stories. And Elisha came to Gilgal, where there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild goods, 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 gourds, full of wild gourds. And he came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some of the stew for the men to eat. And while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in this pot. And they could not eat it. I wonder what your cooking tastes like. Uh, <laughs> that's a common response to anything that I cook. Lewis, there's death in this Vegemite toast. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and so the man of God said, Bring me flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, Pour out some for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Oh, what a story. I like, uh, I'm just going to hit the first verse here for a bit. And Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said to his servant, set on the large pot and boil a stew for the sons of the prophets. And one of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild goods. I just love this story. I've told this story in non-Christian context before because uh, on the Central Coast, there used to be this venue and they used to have storytelling nights. And I used to go and just tell Bible stories but not tell anyone they were Bible stories. And this was one of the stories that I told because I think it's highly creative. And so I just love the idea that in one of the translations it says he gathered them in his garment. And so they go to this place where there's a famine and it's like, what can we feed these people? Let's cook them a stew. Hey, can one of you go out in the field and just find some stuff to chuck in this pot? Seems like a pretty good idea. And so one of them heads out and he's walking around the garden and he's looking at all the different things and he sees some berries and he's like, or some gourds, gourds. He sees some gourds and he's like, they'll do <laughs> so so he goes up to this random wild vine and gets his garment and like have you ever carried stuff in your shirt 
I won't lift up my shirt right now because after COVID, I put on a few kilos and I don't want to show off my belly right now. But I just imagine him lifting up his garment, like chucking stuff in the garment. And it was like carrying it around on his belly. And then he's like, he comes back into the kitchen and there's a giant pot and he, he, he puts them on the table and he starts cutting them up and he chucks them in the pot. No one knows. But I just love this context that when there's a famine in the land, you'll go out into the wilderness and you'll pick up anything that looks like food. And I, I, I feel like it's almost like when we're hungry or insatiable, even poison seems appetizing. I was reading about a story from North Korea about a young adult, a 24-year-old, and um, he was homeless in North Korea where there's not much food because of the government system, even though the propaganda would suggest they do have lots of food. Anyway, it was telling a story about how this guy would go out and, and have to find wild items in the bush to eat, to live. And oftentimes he'd find mushrooms that were not quite the sort of mushroom that you should eat. And he would, it would almost be poisonous. But when you're hungry or insatiable, everything looks like food. When we're hungry or insatiable, even poison seems appetizing. There's a story in the Genesis, in Genesis 25, where there's this character called Esau. And he's the firstborn son. And Esau is like going to inherit all the things from his parents. And he's like, he's got it set. But he goes out working in the field one day and he ends up being hungry. And his younger brother's there cooking a lentil stew. And he goes up to his younger brother and he says, I'm so hungry, give me some lentil stew. And his brother says, trade me your birthright. And he says, I'm so hungry I could die. What's the point of having a birthright if if I'm going to starve to death? And the brother says, nah, shake on it, pinky promise, pinky promise. Are you giving me your birthright? I'll give you some stew. They pinky promise. And Esau gives away all his inheritance for a bowl of soup. When you're hungry, you'll make some silly decisions. But this is not the main point of my sermon. I just found it very interesting and I love going through these stories. They're exciting. (laughs) Let's listen to this next passage. (laughs) So he goes to cut it up and put them in the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. Here's a little tidbit of information for you. If you don't know what the berries are, don't eat them. Don't eat them. I don't know if, I don't know if they have these in New South Wales, but in Queensland there were these trees with little tiny orange berries. I don't know what they were called, but we just called them poison berries. They were all in our yard everywhere. And growing up, I just remember being, my parents being like, they're poison berries, they're poison berries, don't eat the poison berries. And then one day I decided, no, the story doesn't go there. I was a smart child. <laughs> I listened to my parents. When you're doubtful, it's, you know, there's that temptation there, like, I wonder if they really are poisonous. Maybe my parents are lying to me. Maybe these are the best berries in the world and they just want them to stay on the tree. But I never actually partook. If you're doubtful, don't. I'm about to show some statistics from different things, and by no means am I saying these are awful, evil things, but just some examples of why, if you're doubtful, don't. I read this news article. Half of divorcees said that on their wedding day they had doubts. One in two say they went ahead with doomed marriages because of guilt, family pressure, and money. If you're doubtful, don't. You might be here, a young person, you might be dating someone in high school, and there's a thing in the back of your head going, oh, is this really wise? Is this a healthy relationship? I would say, if you're doubtful, don't. However, I understand that divorce is a really serious topic. It it is something that is hard for a lot of people. And so I don't mean to trivialise it. And um, in fact, there's a lot of great churches on the coast who run awesome programs for um, people who are going through divorce or affected by that. And I know that Johnny's previous church, Edelong, are about to start a course. There's more information about that on our Facebook page. But just an example, if you're doubtful, 
don't. And I guess the other half, half of divorcees say that on their wedding day they had doubts. I guess the other half are the people that were on the other side of the altar. Most regret ever starting smoking. The majority of smokers and ex-smokers, 85% regret ever starting the potentially deadly habit in the first place. Shows data from the Cancer Research UK published today. 85% of smokers say, geez, I wish I never picked up that first cigarette. I like that down the bottom it says, um, uh, 77% took up smoking regularly when they were only teenagers, some as young as 13. If you're doubtful, don't. When you're in primary school and they tell you that 50% of smokers end up with lung cancer, it's actually a true fact, it's scientific. If you get to the age of 13 and you want to have a puff because your friends tell you it's cool, if you're doubtful, don't. Proverbs 6, 27 to 28, it says something about like if you carry fire around on your chest, you're probably going to get burnt, and if you walk on hot coals, you're probably going to get burnt. If you're doubtful, don't. But this isn't the main point of my sermon today. This is not the main point on my sermon today. Verse 40. And they poured out some of the stew for the men, but while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in this pot, and they could not eat it. I think my slides are now broken, but oh no, they're great. This stew tastes like death. I feel like this is, you know, Elisha's there with his friends, and I, this, this is what I like, this is what I feel like the reaction should be. This, this stew tastes like death. And uh, there was death in the pot and they could not eat it. I wonder what the pot could represent for us here tonight. Maybe the pot is your workplace. And maybe the pot, which for all intents and purposes should be a good thing and should be satisfying, a place to attend or a place to eat from. Maybe you get home from work <laughs> and you go, my workplace, there's death in that pot. Maybe it's your school. Maybe you get home from school or TAFE or university and you go, geez, that school, that TAFE, that university, there's some death in that pot. Maybe it's your home life. Maybe at home, it's like maybe work is your escape. It's like, I can't wait to go to school because there's death in that pot. Maybe it's even in, in church. Sometimes church can be really hard. I would be naive to think that we all come to church every single week really happy to see everyone else here. I mean, sometimes coming to church is difficult. Sometimes coming to church is hard. Sometimes you can leave church and go, oh, there's some, there's some hard stuff going on in there. Maybe the pot is our world. Our broken, fallen world, which you don't need to be a scientist to really understand that Things are heating up. You don't need to be like a, um, a, political, a, a political expert to see that the wars going on overseas are pretty hectic at the moment. You don't need to be a biologist to understand COVID and how our world is falling apart. Maybe you look at the state of the world and you go, there's death in this pot. Or maybe the pot is I. Maybe the pot is me. Maybe the pot is us. And yeah, we can do some good stuff like Maybe old mate found some potatoes, some staples for the pot of stew. But maybe there's also some poison berries that we picked up along the way. And maybe we had the best of intentions. You know, you get to a wild vine and you pick some of the berries off and you chuck it in your pot and now there's death in the pot. It's really hard. I wonder what the pot for you is tonight. 
And at the end, when we pray about this, I wonder what you need to pray into, what your pot is, what, what's on your mind. Because there's a lot of pots in our world. And there's a whole lot of death and suffering and pain. And it sucks. And then he said, bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, pour some out for the men that they may eat. And then there was no harm in the pot. Elisha gets some flour and puts it in the pot. It's true that flour, like the actual like milled grain, flour actually does have tendencies to um, subdue different kinds of tastes and it does actually have power to subdue different types of poisons. It actually, it's scientifically, it can actually change, could actually change the pot. But what God does here is far more miraculous. They have some idea about what these wild gourds might have been. I got it right for once. And uh, I've totally forgot the name, but they are pretty poisonous. And flour wouldn't completely have had the, like, just the natural effects to be able to change the pot. So flour has to represent something. And what does flour often represent? Well, flour often represents life. It often represents life. Flour is a staple food. Something like 22% of all calories consumed are from wheat flour originally across the whole globe. And then other calories come from other things. But flour is so staple, it's one of the main forms of life and sustenance. Israel would have found significance in flour and bread. They have the flour of the unleavened bread that they celebrate at Passover. It has deep symbolic value. They had the manna from heaven, the bread from heaven that came, bread and flour and wheat. It has deep symbolic value. So what is the life that we need to add to our pot? What is the life that we need to add to our pot? Well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If it's life, that we need to add to our pot, then it is Jesus that we need to add to our pot. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, it's not what we take out, but it's what we put in. This is sort of hard to wrap your head around. But Elisha could have said, all of you prophets... Let's start digging. They could have gone into the pot. They could have been like, whoever gets the most berries out wins. And they could have got messy and their garments could have been covered in stew and they could have tried to take out the poison and take out the, take out the berries and take out the unknown things. And, take, and they could have gone and they could have tried their best to absolutely take out those poison. But, you know, when a stew's on a pot, it's on a simmer. And you can pull out all the berries you want, but the berries have infected the pot. So you can try all you want to fix the problem, to get it all down, but it's not what you take out, it's actually what you put in. And I have a deep belief that, yes, Jesus is taking on us on a transformational journey, that when Jesus comes into our lives, we change. And the different berries, you know, things start to heal and things start to get better. But I know that a lot of us in this room will walk around with scars, deep scars, deep hurt, deep pain until the moment that we're in eternity. Because you can keep trying to take, you can keep trying to, you can keep trying to, you can keep working and working and working and working. But Elisha doesn't say work, he says, bring me some flour and it's not what he takes out, but it's what he puts in. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 puts it like this, almost a summary of all Pauline um, theology. He says this, 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. In other words, it's not a result of all the working you do, like, hey, look at how many berries I can get out of my pot. Oh, look at this big one that I found. Get rid of that. Look at me. I'm so great. Oh, I, found a, I got a bigger berry out of my pot than that guy did. And you can do all the works that you want, but it's not by works. It's not by picking out the berries. It's only by the gift of grace, which is Jesus. It's only by adding Jesus to our pot. It's not what you take out. It's what you put in. And we need to bring in some life. We need to add a little Jesus. You know, when you're, like, <laughs> when you're cooking... I'm about to talk like I'm going to pretend like I know something I know nothing about. I know nothing about cooking, but just humor me for a second. You know when you're cooking and you're cooking a soup and, you know, and you're eating the soup and as you get the spoon out and you're like, oh, taste this for me. I live alone, so it's just, oh, taste this for me. <laughs> oh, could I, I could use a little more salt. Well... Maybe we need to add a little more Jesus into our lives. Maybe your workplace needs a little more Jesus. Maybe your school needs a little more Jesus. Maybe, maybe your home life needs a little more Jesus. Maybe our world needs a little more Jesus. Maybe I need a little more Jesus. Maybe you need a little more Jesus. Maybe we need to add in some more Jesus. Maybe we need to stop stressing about all the things we've got to take out. And yeah, there's some things that we as humans got to deal with. But maybe we need to think more about how we can add Jesus in. Maybe we need to think more about our devotion time. Maybe we need to think more about prayer. Maybe we need to think more about Bible reading. Maybe we need to think more about going and sitting by the ocean with our arms out, listening to the waves, just being in the presence of God. Maybe that's what we need to worry about. Maybe that's how we bring life to our pot, whatever your pot might be tonight. Maybe we need to add a little Jesus. Bam camp was pretty awesome. I've been thinking recently about why I'm so... I have a bit of an evangelistic bent in my preaching or an evangelistic bent in my theology, which really infects everything I do. It even infects my sermons. And I was wondering why that is. And I was just on the car ride here, and I was thinking about why is that? And I think it's honestly because when I first moved to the coast, I moved here to work with a music charity who worked with homeless youth. And I was just surrounded by stories constantly for my first two years here working with young people who only had ever experienced trauma and hardship, who'd only ever had a pot that felt like death. And, I, and, 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 that's in, and maybe that's in me so much that when I see young people, I just see those young people that I worked with when I first moved here. And I see, like, I just, I can feel the, and maybe it's because when I was in high school, I felt like my school was like death in the pot. And I felt like bullied and I felt like tormented. And sometimes it wasn't even actually happening. It was just in my head. But I know what it's like to have death in the pot. And I wonder if that's why I've got a bit of evangelistic bent. And that's why I love encouraging young people and bringing in Jesus and not pointing out all the flaws all the time because young people sometimes the wild berries end up in our pot for things that we didn't do and if I'm pointing to a young person and saying look at your disgusting berries <laughs> that young person might be like I, I didn't even put what I didn't even I didn't even I didn't put that there and so I, th I think that's why my evangelistic bent and my heart for like encouraging people, I think that's why that comes out. And that's just a revelation that I sort of had on my own. And yes, there's a time for calling out stuff. And this morning's sermon on teaching and admonishing was amazing. You should watch that online. 
because it was really a, a really great way in how to teach people and equip people. But I wonder if that's why it is. And so BAM camp, BAM camp, young people go through stuff. They go through stuff. And then we get 100 people to a campsite. And I just want to add a little Jesus. And it was an amazing camp to see Jesus reign. It was an amazing camp to see young people who were going through stuff just add a little Jesus. We have a lot of fun, a lot of games. Can we give Zach Ryan a round of applause? He organised all our games. It was, it was totally amazing. And in the fun and, and, in, and in the joy and in the fun and in the joy, we're adding a little Jesus. And then we go into a session and they're forced to listen to me speak. At camp, it's really good because it's like we're really forcing them to listen to me speak because it's like, no, you're not allowed out of this room. We need to have eyes on you. So get in this room. And then we add a little Jesus. And then the worship team comes up and they're worshiping and they're singing songs. We were singing the bridge of I surrender the whole week. Like a rushing wind, come and breathe within. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. Lord, come, can you... Add a little Jesus, add a little Jesus, add a little Jesus. And it was awesome. It was awesome seeing young people where there can be so much death in the pot. I know what it's like. I know what your pot's like. I've been 13 to 18. I know what the pot's like. I know what the pot's like. I've been in year 12, stressing about what I'm going to do when I leave. Go and I've got $2,000 in my bank account and I want to move to New South Wales. How's that going to be possible? emailing different people that I don't even know, looking at Gumtree for ha share houses. Thank God I never had to live in a sh share house of Gumtree. But I remember what it was like going, what am I going to do next? I've got to, how am I going to move to New South Wales and work with a charity? With that? I remember what it's like. I remember the death, the anxiety, the stress, the pain. I, remember, I know what it's... And now as a, as a worker, I know what it's like to have a, 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 a taskmaster for a boss. Is, is, is John even in the room? No, he's actually a really great boss. So... I don't think, there's not death in my workplace pot, but maybe that is that for you. Maybe you've got a task. I know what, I've had bosses that I did not get along with. I, I really shouldn't say, God, guard my mouth. <laughs> guard my mouth, God. We just got to add a little Jesus. Jesus is the gift of God that heals the poison in the pot. He sweetens the sour stew. He is the answer for your workplace worries, the solution to your school situation, the healing for your hectic home life, the comfort for our changing church. He's the Messiah for our weary world and he's the saviour for our sinful souls. We just need to add a little Jesus. We just need to add a little Jesus. Or a big Jesus. Or all Jesus. God, less of me, more of you. Because I'm, 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 I'm sick of all the works, like trying to pull out my own berries. I'm sick of that. I just want Jesus to come and heal me. And maybe you're in the same boat. Bam Camp was awesome. We sponsored 18 people to go to Bam Camp, which is, that's a miracle. That's a thank you, church. It was amazing. And... Um, I was saying this morning that I don't necessarily believe in the 
I think altar calls, I know there's people in our church who have been saved at Billy Graham crusades where they put up their hand and gone forward. So I, I do think altar calls are legitimate. But in my theology, I think that salvation just doesn't come when you put up your hand at a, at a camp sometime. I think it's a lifelong journey that you grow to know Christ and you grow to become more like him. But nonetheless, we did on the Sunday do a session where we asked for hands raised because I guess the vanity in me wanted to know if they were even listening to my talks. And so we got everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes, and the question really was simple. It was, you know, are you ready to take, follow Jesus, take Jesus seriously, put him first? Are you ready for that? Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe this camp's the first experience of hearing about him, or maybe you've heard about him before, but you've stepped away and you really want to bring him back into your life. I made it very private. I start counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, twenty, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three. I got to about 37 and I stopped because by then the people at the front, had all, half of them had like put up their hands again and so I'd lost count. But as I gazed across the room, it was 40 to 50 hands, half the room, all hands raised. And when you think about the fact that our, our youth ministry already probably has 50% church kids or people that would already say they're following Jesus, my assumption is that like 90% of the people at that camp who didn't know Jesus desperately want to know him. And I'm not silly enough to think that them putting up their hand at BAM camp means now they're, now they're saved. But I tell you what, they're desperate for a little Jesus. And I'm so glad that our BAM camp, because of all your generosity, because of the church's generosity, we were able to bring a little Jesus into their lives. And my prayer is that it would grow and take over and that it would heal every bitterness, every bit of death, every, every berry that's in there, that's, whether that's because they picked it themselves or whether because someone else threw it in their pot. My prayer is that Jesus would, would just come and heal and make them whole. Would you join me in praying for that just right now really quickly? God, I pray for everyone who raised their hand at BAM camp, who wants to desperately know you, who wants to put you first, who wants to seek you. God, I pray for them that you would continue working in their lives. I thank you for the leaders who have invested in our youth. And I pray that you would continue to come and move. That you would continue to come and move. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. There's one text message I got from a non-Christian parent um, about one of our students who got sponsored to come from Narara Valley High. This is from a non-Christian parent, and I'm just going to take out the words and, and their names. And it says this, Hi, Lewis, can I just say, without having met you or your team, what an incredible job you did and are doing at camp. My child had an incredible time and adores you all. And then they said, COVID's everywhere and there's nothing you could have done. And I really like that answer because that was like, oh, thank God the parents don't hate me right now. And then she said, thank you again, NVBC has changed their life. They may not be conventional, but they absolutely love it. A lot of pots. We just need to add a little Jesus. I've gone way over and I apologise. I'm not going to blame myself. I'm going to blame Johnny's mission talk because why not pass the buck? <laughs> I'll end with this. Verse 41. Where was it? He said, bring the flour. They threw it into the pot and said, pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. I am hungry, insatiable, and I am often discontent. 
But the Bible says, the Bible says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Thank you.